I don't know about you, but I had a little time of vacation this week and invited in my stead someone that may be new to uh, many of you. Andy Burgraff joined our pastoral staff this past summer, and it has been a tremendous delight to work with him over these last eight months or so. He's already launched three new adult Sunday school classes. He teaches two of them primarily for couples, one for young couples, about 50 couples now involved in that discipleship opportunity and fellowship together. And Andy is the son of our executive pastor, Dave Burgraff. And uh, that's how I got to know Andy. Andy's been pastoring for nine years, seven as a senior pastor, and moved here recently to begin his doctoral work at Southeastern Seminary in the aspects of adult education in the church, and it's been a real joy to add him to our staff. I believe his wife, Allison, is uh, in this hour, and he said over here somewhere by Marcia, Allison, why don't you stand so that people can see you and your three kids with you as well. Would you help me, and would you, let, let's welcome uh, Andy and Allison and his family to Colonial. Thank you. Now, the only difference between Andy and his dad, Dave, is that Andy's 10 inches taller, but not as good looking. I need to say that because Dave's listening by way of internet. So uh, come on, Andy, come preach. God bless you. Welcome here. Let's greet Andy. Welcome him to the pulpit. Thank you, my friend. He will also remark that uh, he's about 50 pounds lighter than I am as well. It's a joy to be here. I, I, I thank Pastor Davey. He keeps reminding me to call him Stephen, so I, I want to thank Stephen for the opportunity. Earlier we were in the back, and Bryant asked me, he said, you know, Stephen gave you the first message of 2012. That shows a lot of confidence. I said, that shows a lot of lunacy. And so I apologize that you need to listen to me today, but we're looking forward to starting the new year with you. And uh, Happy New Year. Uh, Hopefully uh, you had a good past year and are looking forward to 2012. And and I'm sure many of you now are a little bit better rested. Many of us stayed up last night, watched the ball fall together. And uh, you got to sleep in a little bit today, so you're an excited audience, uh, ready to start a new year. And praise the Lord, we get to start the first day of the new year in the house of God. That's always a joy And as we look forward to 2012. January 1st. 2012. The name January, our month January, the start of a new year, takes its name from a Roman god named Janus. And the god Janus is often depicted with two faces, one in the front where our face is, and then one in the back. And so the the god Janus would look both ways at once. And oftentimes growing up, I felt that same way. And maybe as a child, you do today. Mom has the eyes in the back of the head. Some of you can, can relate with that. And when I heard Andrew Todd Burgraff, whenever you hear the three names, you know you're in big trouble, right? And, and so how did she see that? She, but this, this idea of the god Janus, he had face pointing both directions. And he was the god that would open doorways or gates, And the reason he's depicted with two faces is he would look back as the traveler would approach the gate, and then with the face pointing forward, he'd look forward to see where that traveler would then go. Interestingly then, 
The first month of the year starts named after him. And oftentimes, though we don't believe in mythology or the gods or things like that, oftentimes when we come to a beginning of a year, we do the very same thing. We look back, and then we look forward. And today, we stand on the threshold of a new year. And in our text today, I want to kind of do that with us, kind of look back, talk about the past, but then talk about the future. As you came today, we take time to close the chapter on 2011. For some of us, it was a great year. Maybe today, this year, this past year, 2011, maybe you gave birth to your first child. That's an exciting year. 2011 was a good year. Maybe you're here today and your first grandchild was born this year. That's an exciting year. Maybe in the middle of the recession and the the difficult economy, maybe this past year, you, you got a new job and started a new career. That's exciting. 2011 was a good year for you. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to close the chapter on 2011. Maybe it was a challenging year for you. Maybe you lost a loved one in 2011. Maybe this was the year you were diagnosed with cancer. Maybe this year you lost your job. And this has been a challenging Christmas season. And I'm just ready to close the door on 2011, and I'm ready to start a new year. Maybe this past year you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's an exciting year. Maybe you were baptized this year or made a a decision of dedication to Christ and you're living in in a different way this year spiritually. And, And 2011 was a great year. Maybe it was a challenging year for your faith. I don't know where you're at today. As you're seated there, I don't know what 2011 held for you. But I know that today we stand on the threshold of a new year. And and to that end, many of us will make resolutions. We will resolve to do things this year. and And the world does that. We call them New Year's resolutions. And when I was studying for this message today, I did a Google search on the top 10 resolutions for the new year. And as they polled thousands of people, these were the top 10 resolutions. And maybe yours coincide with a couple of these. The first is spend more time with family and friends. That's, that's a great resolution. Many people make that. I love the next two because this is the avenue I live at. Number two, fit in fitness. Maybe that's you this year. Which leads into three, tame the bulge. Maybe we were all making that resolution. Interestingly, and, and, and Stephen has given me opportunity to kind of pick on him and pick on myself. Before I came in there to preach, as you see, Pastor Davey, Stephen, he, he looks sharp, doesn't he, when he comes up to preach? So he said to me, he said, Andy, button up your suit. I said, I can, but I can't breathe if I do that, okay? So 
I need to fit. I said, give me two months. It'll, it'll be a little bit better. So maybe you're with me and we need to fit in fitness and tame the bulge. I don't know. Number four, another list on the list, quit smoking. Number five, enjoy life more. Number six, quit drinking. Number seven, get out of debt. Number eight, learn something new. Number nine, help others. Number 10, get organized. Interestingly, as soon as I finished searching for that, I I punched in and Time Magazine did a, a review of the top 10 most broken resolutions of the year. I don't need to read you the list. It's exactly the same as the same list. I mean, one by one by one, the exact same list, which tells us something. We have resolutions. We want to strive to do something, and oftentimes we fail at it. Today we start a new year, 2012. I want to challenge you to do something with me today. As we're going to see in Philippians chapter 3. I want you and I to resolve and, and make a resolution with me today, wouldn't you? I want us to resolve to make 2012 the best year spiritually of service for our Savior. I think we need to do that as individuals. Strive to make this year the best year of service for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, to do that, that takes some resolve. That takes a perspective. And if I could summarize this message, if I could encapsulate it into one sentence or into a nutshell, it would simply be this. We need to fix our gaze upon the eternal prize. The only way 2012 will be the best year for you spiritually in service for Jesus Christ is if we fix our eyes on the eternal prize. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is going to challenge us to that end. This passage, we're going to look at verses 4 down to verse 14. This passage is packed theologically with truths. For you and I to work all the way through this, this would take us hours. And Stephen also gave me liberty. It might take Pastor Davey a year to get through Philippians. But we don't have that kind of time today. I could listen to Pastor Davey, Stephen, for hours on end. But today you're struggling. You've got to listen to me. So we're going to not focus in on all the nuances of this text. We're going to kind of take an aerial shot, if it were, of the text of Scripture. We're going to hit some high points But there's no way I could do justice and work all the way through the nuances theologically of this text. So forgive me for that out front. I want to just share that with you. We're going to hit some of the high marks as we work our way verses 4 down through verse 14. And what I want to do today is as we think on this idea of keeping our eyes fixed on the eternal prize, I want to relate our points to the future, looking ahead. And so each of my points is going to draw us to that. The first point today is this. The future is not dictated by what was done in the past. The future is not dictated by what was done in the past. Let's begin reading in verse 4. Paul says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more... Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, 
as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. What Paul does for us in these few verses here is he takes our mind back for a second to his early life. In verses 1 to 3, and we're not going to focus in on them today, but what he's doing is contrasting false religion, uh, the mindset of the Judaizers, that, that their, their religion was based on their identification with Israel, with about their works. And Paul is going to contrast in these verses his life in Jesus Christ contrasted to that mindset. And in these verses that we have seen, Paul says, if we are going to have a bragging match, as it were, if we're going to talk about apples to apples, who has done more work-wise in the Jewish system, he says, if anybody's going to have confidence in the flesh, I have far more. And he's not saying this pridefully because he's saying a couple of verses that it doesn't mean anything. But to set the stage here, he says this, if anybody's going to take confidence or pride in something in the past, I far more. And he gives us seven characteristics of his former life. The first four have to do with heredity or birth. And the final three deal with accomplishment or zeal, achievement. Look at these verses. He says in verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. As we remember back to the Old Testament in Genesis, when, when God says to Abraham and he, and he gives him the sign of this covenant and so forth, and, and how the, the people were to enter into this relationship and this covenant group, there was the, the identification of circumcision. And as we see as time goes on in the Old Testament and into the New, oftentimes when people would come into the nation of Israel or need to, there would need to be that sign or that step of circumcision. In Genesis chapter 17, 25 and 26, the Ishmaelites actually circumcised at 13 years old. Paul says, I was on the eighth day. I am a Jew of the Jews, as it were. He gives us the second one. He says in verse 5, of the nation of Israel. He says, I didn't come in as a proselyte from outside. I was born. I am a Jew of the Jews. And the third one, he says to us, of the tribe of Benjamin. Interestingly, when we think of the 12 tribes, when the nations split, Benjamin was a tribe that stayed faithful to the line of David, of Judah. And what Paul is saying here is of all the 12 tribes, I have my heritage in one of the choice tribes, Benjamin. The fourth one. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And there's some debate as what he's including here. Is it a summary of the first ones? Many would argue that what's happening here is as we come to the New Testament, many of the Jewish people would read the Old Testament scriptures through the Greek language, the Septuagint. Paul is saying here that I know Hebrew. I can read the originals in their original writings in Hebrew. Paul is saying if we're going to talk about ancestry and birth and achievement, I have the marks. He moves a step further in verse 6. He says, now towards accomplishment. As to zeal, he says, a persecutor of the church. I mean, I skipped one. I apologize. Let's go back to the end of verse 5. As to the law of Pharisee, as we talk about achievement here, the fifth characteristic he gives us is this idea of a Pharisee. Now, for you and me, hindsight being 2020, we see what happens with Jesus Christ throughout the Gospels in his conflict with the Pharisees. And we say, why would Paul brag about that? 
To the Jewish person, a Pharisee was one to emulate. And here's why. They were very strict in their observance of the law. They took it almost to fanatical lengths. They would observe the law so closely so that when Jesus walks on the earth and he starts doing things that contradict the Pharisees, they're having problems with this new one. What's this idea of you breaking our laws on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees were emulated by the Jews by their strict observance of the law. So as we talk about achievement, he's a Pharisee. He's one to be lifted up. As we continue on with achievement, where I skipped ahead just a moment ago, he says, as to zeal persecuting the church, a mark in that time of true belief or in uh, following after Jewish ritual would be your way of opposing or standing against false teaching. Paul says, I took it to a degree above most others. I persecuted this church the way. So much so that when we see in Acts chapter 9 when Paul is saved or is confronted with Jesus Christ on that road, where is he going? To persecute the church. And then he gives us the last one. He says, as to the law, as to the righteousness in the law, I'm found blameless. Now, what Paul's saying is he's not saying I never sinned, but what he's saying is this. The law, that righteousness by the law, you can't hold or attribute anything against me and say, well, Paul failed in that era or in that part of the law. Paul says, if we're going to have a contest of whose good works outweighs the rest... He says, I'm going to exceed. I have these characteristics about me that in contrast to the Judaizers causes me to excel to a whole other level. But look at the beginning of verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted loss. Why? Because they never led me to Christ. Paul says to us in these first few verses, the future is not dictated by the past. Maybe you're here today and somebody invited you to Colonial Baptist Church. This is your first time with us or you haven't been back in a little while. And you thought, well, I'll start the new year right. I'll come to this church. And you've been hearing through the Christmas season about this, this Savior who came And maybe you go to a church or you believe in a religion that it's a matter of your good works outweighing the bad works. Paul is telling us in this passage, and he'll say so later on in in Romans, the idea of, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he'll say that it's not by works of righteousness which we can do. But according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing and and this idea of we cannot boast in these good works. Believer, maybe you're here today, and when we talk about service to Jesus Christ, oftentimes our mindset draws us back to what we did five years ago, ten years ago, weeks ago. So often to us, as I've talked with believers and I talk about how we serve Jesus Christ, I will hear things like, well, five, six years ago, I had opportunity to lead so-and-so to Jesus Christ. 
We saw them discipled and, and, and they came and, and they're involved in church. Praise the Lord. That is, that is truly wonderful. I, I'm serious about that. Or maybe you served as a deacon or as an usher in the past. And, and to a lot of us, we talk about, and it's almost the idea, we wouldn't maybe say it out loud, but it's the, almost the idea of I put in my time. Paul says the past, and he's going to tell us in a moment, I forget those things which are behind, I reach forward. He says to us, it's about now. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. I'll promise you something today. If you don't know Jesus Christ, if you came today and you don't have a relationship with him, I'm going to tell you right now, if you accept Jesus as your Savior, 2012 will be the greatest year of your life. Not numerically or materially or physically. I'm not saying all of that. That's not for me to determine. But you know what? You will know peace like you've never known peace before. You'll know joy and hope like you've never known that before. See, Jesus fills the voids of life. There's hope. There's purpose to life because of him. Amen? This is the 11 o'clock hour, right, Stephen? I know you stayed up late, but you got to sleep in late. Are you excited about your salvation? You know what? Oftentimes when I'm in churches, I think we all look like sometimes like we sucked on lemons. Right? The Christian life isn't anything boring. It's exciting. You've been redeemed. You've been changed. You've been radically altered. You can get excited about that. That's not good, okay? (laughs) What Paul is saying here is this. The future is not dictated by the past. You know what? So often we live thinking back. What he's going to do in verses 7 to 11, he's going to transition. And here's my second point. The future is determined by what is done in the present. The future is determined by what is done in the present. Notice this. And this is now where we enter that real theological section where I can't park on everything. But I want us to highlight a few things here. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, I count by loss. Why? Because they never brought me to the Savior. He says, I was taken hold of is the idea. I, I count all things are lost and view the surpassing the value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them just rubbish. All those things in the past, that list, all that before, that is loss. So that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That doesn't mean anything. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I forget those things in the past. They're counted to me as lost. And he says, and here's the point. Verse 10, that I might know him. Believer, as we start 2012, and we desire and we resolve to make this the best year of service to our Savior Jesus Christ, do you have that same passion? I want to know him. 
The term no in the Greek language means no through experience. See, we know each other here. I can shake your hand afterwards, and, and I know you, and, and you may know me. But you know what? I know my family a whole lot better than I know you. Why? Because I know. We've been on vacations together. We spend time together. I know what makes Allison tick. She knows what makes me tick. I know my children. I know through experience. Paul says, that's how I want to know Jesus Christ. Is that your desire today? You can't know him unless you're in this book. You can't know him unless you pray and talk with him. Allison and I cannot be best friends unless we spend time together. And in scripture reading, he talks to me. And in prayer, I talk with him. Do you know your Savior? Paul says, that's my passion in the present. Forget all that stuff in the past. I want to know him. And he gives us a couple of areas. He says in verse 10, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And there's debate as to what that's including. And the idea of that word power is the idea of dunamis, and we get our word dynamite from it. He says, I want to, as I serve the Savior, I want to feel power in my ministry. I want the Holy Spirit to work through me. I want it to be powerful. And I think to all of us, we would say amen to that. When I share Jesus Christ with somebody, I want to feel the power of God working in my life. I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I want to serve my Savior and feel power. It makes feel like I'm making a difference. Paul says, I want that power. I want to know that when I serve him, I just see great things happening. Then he says another one. And you may be tracking with Paul on that first one. But look at verse 10. He says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, just stop right there, Paul. I'm good with the power. I don't know about the fellowship of his sufferings. Years ago, I stopped praying for patience. Maybe you have to. <laughs> he's going to teach us that one way or the other, all right? But the idea here is this. He says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And what he's talking about here is this. Paul wants to live his life in such a way that his dedication for Jesus Christ reminds us of what Jesus says in the book of John when he's talking to his disciples for the final time. He says, if they hate me, they will hate you as well. No servant is greater than his master. Here's the point. Paul says, I want to serve Jesus Christ to the point where I stick out like a sore thumb in a world controlled by Satan. When I serve Jesus Christ to that level, I stick out, and and the Bible tells us we're strangers and pilgrims. Is that your same passion today? Teenager, If you serve Jesus Christ fully, you will stick out like a sore thumb in public school and sometimes Christian school. If you serve and live for Jesus Christ in the workplace, you will stick out like a sore thumb to your coworkers. Paul says, I want to know, because I want to be so plugged in. I want to be serving Christ to such an extent that I know his suffering. Is that you? 
The Christian life is oftentimes like a sporting contest. And you're probably going, what? Make the connection here. Later today, you're going to go home and many of you will watch football on the TV. And there's some important games today. It has playoff implications. And you're going to turn your TV on, you're going to watch a bunch of men gutting it out, working hard, straining themselves to win a game. And you know what you're going to be doing? Eating chips and having a burger or a dog. I know that's what I'm going to be doing. See, we're watching the contest. You know what? In a lot of churches today in America, a lot of Christians stand on the sidelines and watch a lot of other believers serving Jesus Christ. I praise the Lord for this church. Do you realize there's over 2,000 opportunities for you to serve here? That's truly mind-boggling. I don't know what your talents or gifts are, but there's a place for you to serve. You know what, believer? It's time. 2012 needs to be different. We need to stop standing on the sidelines and get in the game. We need to stop watching other Christians serving Jesus Christ, and we need to serve him as well. Are you in the game? Are you serving him? Paul says the future is determined by what is in the presence. I want to know him. I want to feel the power of the resurrection. I want to suffer for Jesus Christ. Does that describe you today? And then he moves to the final point. He shares with us in verses 12 and following. Not that I've already obtained it or already become perfect. But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. That is just an amazing concept. I'm going through life just an enemy of God and he grabs me and alters me. And I'm going to try it one more time. That's something to get excited about. Amen? You're doing better. All right, verse 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says the future, and here's our final point, the future demands an eternal future perspective. The future demands an eternal slash future perspective. He says, I press on towards the mark of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That word press is an interesting word. It means to strain with all my, your muscle. It reminds me of an athletic competition where runners will press or strain their muscles to get to the end. Horse racing, a horse will strain itself to get to the finish line first. That's the word. What Paul is saying is, as I fixed my eyes on the eternal prize and I press toward that mark, I'm reminded of years ago, and for that matter, many pounds ago, I used to run track and field. 
And when you think of that, you probably think I threw shot put. But I actually, I did do the sprinting, okay? And uh, I ran the 100-meter dash, the 200-meter dash, and the 4 by 100 relay. And I'll never forget one of our first practices as we ran the 100-meter dash. Our coach would teach us how to go out of the blocks. And you've seen that on the Olympics where they get in there stances and, and with, how far you got the blocks apart and all this kind of stuff. We worked on this. And he shared with us in one of those early practices, he says, what I want you to do is this. When you come out of the blocks, the first few steps are, are, are of critical importance. He said, what I want you to do is your first few steps, I want you to keep your head down. And when you get going about four or five steps, by about five or six steps, you need to be at full pace. So the first few steps, you, you keep your eyes down, and, and you work on getting that stride right. And he said, at about the fifth or sixth step, once you're up to speed, he goes, I want you to fix your eyes right on the tape, and I want you to run for that mark as fast as you can. And one of the kids in, that was a runner as well asked, well, what if somebody's approaching from the side? Can I look over to see how close they are? And he said, no, I don't want you to do that. Well, Why? If you've ever seen the 100-meter dash, they're determined literally by hundredths of a second or tenths of a second. It's really a close race. And when you run, just naturally, if you look to the left or right or down or up, your body will naturally slow down just a little bit. And when a race is determined that closely, you don't, that can be very damaging. You can lose the race for that. So he said, when you come out of the blocks, keep your head down, and when you get about the fifth or sixth step, fix your eyes on that goal and run as fast as you can to it. That's what Paul says right here. He says, I have a gaze and I press towards it. It reminds me of what the author of the book of Hebrews tells us, that so often we become weighed down or encumbered by weights as we run this race. Here's the problem, believers. A lot of us, as we go through the Christian walk, we have a horizontal perspective. It's about job. It's about hobbies. It's about paying the bills. It's about going on vacation. And you know what? All of those are good things. But so often, that is where our perspective lays. On the here and now, and what's going on this way. Paul says, I have an eternal perspective. I fix my gaze, and what is it? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I run towards that. At the end of our walk and our race, the believer will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we will be rewarded for our faithful service to Jesus Christ. Believer, I can think of nothing better. Nothing better than on that day when it's me and Jesus Christ alone, him saying, Andy, I'm proud of you. Do you want to hear that too? You were faithful. Was I perfect? Absolutely not. Allison stood up earlier. Catch her after. I am miles from perfect. She'll tell you all the details. Leave a couple out, all right? 
But you know what? We're not perfect. The idea here is this. The Christian life is not about reaching perfection. It's about growing in our walk with Jesus Christ. Make 2012 a better year spiritually for your Savior. Was there a time you read the Bible more? Was there a time you served him more? Are we standing on the sidelines and watching the game? Are we caught up in the horizontal and have we lost our perspective on running towards the eternal? I don't know what 2011 was for you. Maybe it was a great year. Maybe you are done with that. I know all of us stand on the threshold of 2012. And among resolutions, will you resolve with me to make this year the best year of service for Jesus Christ. You know what, folks? Our world needs you too. Colonial Baptist Church stands as a lighthouse in a dark world. Stood for 25 years, and I praise God that I'm part of it. It's thrilling to be here, and it is thrilling. And, and he, he says that I'm supposed to pick on him and not. I can't. I love Stephen Davy. I love being under his preaching. I love growing under it. I love serving with him. I love this church. Are you involved? Are you in the game? Are you serving your sin? The future is not dictated by the past. The future is determined by what is done in the present. And the future demands an eternal perspective. In May, in August, in September, when it gets tough, we need to maintain an eternal perspective. How about you, believer? Will you resolve with me? Let's make this the best year of service for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear my Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you have done for us. We have been taken hold of you, and it has radically altered and transformed our lives. And it is glorious. Lord, if there is one here today that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, I would pray that today would be the day of salvation, that they would start the new year, the first day of the new year, entering a relationship with you. It'll change their lives. Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart. Lord, for us as believers, we're running a race. Lord, forgive us when we have failed you. Forgive us when we become complacent. And Lord, I would pray that we would get involved. We would serve. That we would run faithfully for you. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on our eternal prize. 
And may we run with that and press towards that with all of our might, like Paul challenges us to do. And may we make 2012 the best year of service for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all you have done for us. May you use us as we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray.